So how, on God's gray earth, did this... And this that keep me searching for a heart of gold, and I'm getting old. Keep me searching for a and even this. Become this. podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, or it may be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Just a heads up, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook groups, and we do have a website at detoursandoutliers.com. This week on the panel, we have Logan Renard, Matthew Marr, and uh, my name is Scott Livingston. Since we are now podcasting in the time of cholera, we have no guest. We're testing out some things this week, so we decided to go back to our roots and, you know, another doo-wop album like our very first episode and another Neil Young album like our very third episode. So this week we're going to be discussing... Everybody's Rockin' by Neil Young came out in 1983, I believe. And uh, it was shortly after this record that Geffen sued Neil Young for um, not sounding enough like Neil Young. So let's, um, I guess the first question is, is this better or worse than trans? Uh, trans is way more interesting. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I yeah. think um, this is a great follow-up to the podcast that we did with Elton John's disco album. There you go. Yeah, because I think it's uh, <laughs> it's it's you're seeing two different artists attempting to conquer a genre in which they're not really known for. Um, I think Neil Young is far more successful than Elton John was with his. True, but. Um, does I would um but um if I had to put one of these albums on I think it's kind of a flip of a coin which one I would enjoy more I mean uh, yeah. not, not the Elton John I meant the uh, trans or uh, this did have this me one. thinking a lot about trans and it's I I guess I don't prefer one to the other either but it, they both suffer from 
it's a neat idea, but you just didn't take it far enough. I think is the, they both kind of pull punches. Like yeah. they have a very specific stylistic thing that they adhered to and it was cool, but they didn't do enough of it. And so it just comes across as kind of wimpy. Well, part of the problem, I, apparently Geffen records pulled the funding on this album before he finished it, which is why it's only like 25 minutes long. It's pretty short. When I was, I had, I listened to it on YouTube and I kept like trying to find a playlist with the whole album and two or three times I'd listened through the whole thing, you know, and it started playing like, uh, songs off a of harvest or, you know, yeah, the, the needle in the damage done. And I was like, wait a minute, what the hell's going on? And so I better find a better playlist for this. And it's like, nope, that's the whole album. It goes by lickety split. Yeah. 10 songs all about two, two and a half minutes long. And Apparently there was two more songs he wanted to do that you can get live, but he never got to do in the studio with his. Yeah, apparently he uh, he claimed it was part of a concept album. I'm kind of curious as to what the concept was. From what I understand, the concept was he gave them trans. Geffen said, no, we want something with real guitars. He gave them Old Way, which was a country album. They said, no, we want rock and roll. And he's like, well, you want rock and roll? And he gave them rock and roll <laughs> right rock rockabilly i suppose you know that that's one thing i'm i'm with with this and uh you know a, a later album which i suppose yeah. is unfair to compare it to with uh, the blue notes where he assembled a band and this one was the the pink the the shocking the pinks. shocking pinks that's it um which is you know it's a it's a pseudo band it's a fake band right just just yeah. for the purposes it's of a name a name for the uh for the record and and you know, to me, that that leads me to believe that this is all tongue-in-cheek, yet at the same time, uh, the performances are very earnest. Yeah, he's not kidding around. And I mean, in that case, it, it reminds me a lot of cruising with Ruben and the Jets, where, you know, this was not a joke to him. I'm not sure why he did it, but it was he, he was sincere about it. Right, and, and it, it, but it's also, it's also, yeah, he does seem sincere, but it's also... Um, it's it's as if uh, you know he's he's attempting to recreate something from the past, but doing it in a in a not but not really adding anything to it, other than his singing. Yes. It, it's it's more like a review than a uh, than than yeah. any kind of Neil Young record. It's cosplay. There's a right. lot of like rockabilly <laughs> revival nostalgia. This is '83. Yeah, this is a Stray Cats. Like era. Stray Cats, but even this this makes me like want to listen to The Cramps or uh like uh Tav Falco or something like that. You know, where there was a a kind of new wavy take on rockabilly done by a bunch of people and it was done much better by most of them. Well, and that's that's what they were <laughs> Dave That's Edmonds. what they were doing like those yeah, Dave Edmonds, those those bands is that's when Neil they got were. the outfits, right? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, that's that is the important thing. <laughs> you know, it reminded me a bit because um, you know, I'd been uh listening to um very early George Thorogood not too long ago and uh George George likes to play a lot of old music, right? Absolutely. Um but yeah. um but he does it he does it in a way that he, he believes it. This is what he does. This is the music that I play, right? Yes. Whereas this, this is Neil Young saying, I'm going to play this other music that belongs to someone else. I mean, that's kind of how it sounds to me. Uh, Neil's going to be mad at you for saying that. 
Yeah. The fact <laughs> he never went back to this ever again, even slightly, I think says something. It does feel like a trolling move. Although, although I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially right. You know, given the time rockabilly becoming popular again, that's that um, milieu. But, but at the same time, I think he does a really good job. Yeah. No, it's not horrible. It's just, uh, I mean, and that's, I was just going to say, and that's unlike the uh, the Elton John record. Yeah, true. Which was meant to sell records and failed, apparently. So. Yeah, well, you believe that Neil Young has um, rootsy rockabilly, you know, like uh, pedigree, or you know, he's into that shit big time at some point. Well, given his age, he was a teenager when this came out, so yeah. Yeah, this is like the guitar music that he was raised on. He's doing a weird pastel 80s interpretation of it, but it he has some connection to it, whereas Elton John, you know, it's a hard sell to say that he was raised on disco, and this is the music truly close to his heart. You know, that seems right. like a, a little cash grabby. This seems like something that Neil might have legit been into and wanted to explore, but Scott's right. He never really returns to it. So if it, if it was really, if he was really, really close to it, you know, maybe he got it out of his system or maybe, yeah, maybe learned his lesson. I'm not good at this. I love this, but I am not good at this and I should go far, far away. Well, it's interesting that you said that they, they, they cut off the funding for it because it sounds kind of like halfway done on on some of these things it's like oh it's it's so close but it needed something a little extra it's almost like a uh even though it's real musicians playing it, it's almost like they took a template although they didn't have template computer templates in 83 right it was like they took a template for rockabilly and plugged themselves into it um it's very it's very staid in that way there's not a lot of um there's there's not a lot of action going on, right? You know, it's it's all it's very formulaic, yeah. right? Very formulaic, and, and even even a, a whole bunch of the songs they they do the exact same thing where where the music you know it's got a strong backbeat, it's trucking along, and then it stops with the vocals over the top, and then you know, and then the band comes back in, and that must be half the songs are are oh, exactly yeah. like that. Well, and I think part of it is because when this movie music was popular kids weren't buying whole albums. They were buying singles. So you don't need a lot of diversity when you only got an A side and a B side. You just, you know, have that one type of song. Right, right. That, but that's when you true. compile it all together as an album of 10 or more songs in a row, it gets redundant or repetitive or redundant yeah. or repetitive. <laughs> I do like the, yeah, the short songs fit with very well with these are going on 45s. You better not think of anything over about two and a half minutes. Oh yeah. Like that's, those are the rules, you know, nobody wrote a four minute song. So you'd have to flip the record over. <laughs> Apparently two of these songs actually got uh, released as videos and were big on MTV during the time. I mean, MTV was desperate for anything in 83, but yeah. Well, well if you get wandering. pink outfits, that's going to help, right? Oh, yeah. There was even a, a like a giveaway. You could win Neil Young's pink Cadillac. Is this and ZZ Top's Eliminator on, on MTV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're about the same. I mean, if this was 1958, 
say, yeah. and this came out, obviously the, you know, the production would be a little different, but, uh, you know, it'd fit right in. I mean, it's not, you know, like the, uh, the, the, the stray cats, they, the, you know, as for rockabilly, they took that 50 song, sound and, and they really amped it up. Right. They, they took yeah. it in a more in a more. OK, there has been, you know, 20, 30 years of rock and roll since then. Right. What can we do to sort of, uh, you know, crank this up to the next level? And, and I think uh, um, there's no attempt here at all to. to I, the, the, the only real addition that doesn't sound authentic is the harmonica, which seems to be replacing the saxophone solo in like nine tenths of the songs here. That's kind of what I mean about it being unfinished. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if they'd had a little bit more time, they would have gotten, you know, some some badass dude in there to play some really blown out rock and roll saxophone or something. There there's some little touches like that that could have done a lot of heavy lifting on this album. But yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'm not saying it would be my favorite Neil album of all time if it had that stuff. It it would it would not, but <laughs> But it would help a lot, and because you can hear it, you can listen along and just be like, I, "My, my ears kind of know what's supposed to be." In oh yeah, this you space, can sing along before the song is done. Yeah, on yeah every yeah. track. Yep. Maybe that was part of it too. Is is uh, I mean, with the record company pulling the plug, maybe maybe it really wasn't finished. You know that. Um, yeah, this is like a polished up demo or something that they yeah. put out because they had to put something out. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if they hated it so much, why did they put it out? I mean, they weren't going to sell any of these. Well, <laughs> apparently it did okay, but, you know, not they great, just They but. just, well, you know, once you've paid, you want to get whatever you can back, I think, is what that amounted to. But, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, they just didn't want to give him any more money to produce, you know, stuff like this, um, which, is, which is really bizarre um, in the sense that, that I was under the impression, who knows what goes on behind closed doors, that... But that uh, Neil Young signed with Geffen because they were going to give him the carte blanche. And then they got yeah, upset with him. Yeah, that was the them. plan. Yeah. Artistic freedom. And um, three records in, and they had already blown it. And hence the lawsuit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do. It's a very uh, Mr. Bungle kind of uh, situation. <laughs> yeah. So, so freedom is, you know, I guess it's, you're free to do whatever you want as long as you do what we want you to. Yeah. As long as you sound exactly like you always have. Or yeah, else right, we'll sue right. you. Or just make a bunch of money always, and then you really can do whatever you want. Right, then it doesn't well, make a difference. <laughs> he finally made some money with that horn-driven R&B album, This Note's For You, and that's what finally got him to stop doing all these weird experiments, I think, is, you know, he just wanted to prove he could have a commercial success with a different genre. I think that was the the cultivation or culmination of, of all of this kind of pre-stuff was that... Um, uh, you know, the, uh, this notes for you album, you know, with the, with the blue notes, um, because it was, uh, you know, he finally found a way to be Neil Young and do this kind of genre specific music, right. Which was, um, yeah. uh, what's Joe Jackson doing around this time? Is he still pretty rock rockabilly esque or? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Like that big beat album that was. And that was around yeah. the same time as, as uh, Neil Young and the Blue Notes, I think. I'm just, yeah. I, I swear this, Neil did not invent this wave of, of uh, uh, pastel leisure suit troubadours here. Because well, like, there's a big, weird, new wavy, you know, rockabilly revival. Whether Like you're saying, whether it was people who kind of put their own spin on it or tried to be authentic. 
there's like a lot of this sort of shit going on at this time. So he's hopping on the trend. He just picked the wrong one. Maybe it's, I guess like, I, like he I said before, he could do it better. Cause he was actually old enough to remember. Yeah. I believe that he's close to it. I believe that he learned to play guitar, probably playing along to stuff, you know, a lot of these songs on here. Yeah. You know, so, midnight train or even just, Rock and roll, you know, Chuck Berry-esque rock and roll. It's not fully... That's the other... It's not very twangy. That's true. It's it's, it's like kind of 80s, like, shimmery, but not... It's never twangy. Yeah. He did apparently oh. go on tour with the Shocking Pinks. I, I don't know if they did other songs <laughs> in the rockabilly style, but that would be interesting to hear, like, you know, Heart of Gold or Needle in the Damage Done or... Yeah, old man. <laughs> that would be cool. A, you know, in twelve eight with piano triplets over the whole thing. Apparently, in nineteen ninety five, he said, "quote There was very little depth to the material. Obviously, they were all surface <laughs> songs. But see, there was a time when music was like that. When all pop stars were like that, and it was good music, really good music. Plus, it was a way of destroying what I'd already set up. Without doing that, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now." If I build something up, I have to systematically tear it down before people decide, oh, that's how we can define them. Hmm. So yeah, apparently it was sort of a deliberate, you know, you know, career sabotage or something. I would like to think it was, but I think he um, I I think he's looking backwards and rationalizing what he did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he may not have put that much forethought into it at the time. Neil seems like a pretty deliberate dude most of the time, but I can also see him being like, that was weird. How do we explain that? <laughs> Indeed. Well, do we want to actually go to the songs themselves? They're not as interesting as the album, I think. Sure. Okay. I think the first one is uh, Betty Lou's Got a News, Pairs of Shoes, Blues. There you go. She's got a new pair of shoes. Ow, wow. Um, apparently, the, uh, the lawsuit was part of the reason why REM signed with uh, Warner Brothers, because they heard they were being courted by Geffen at the time. And they heard that Geffen had sealed or sued Neil Young and decided not to sign with them. So. Was REM worried they were going to be too radically experimental for... Exactly. REM <laughs> wanted to do a Rockabilly album, too, and they were worried it wouldn't be able to be released. Oh, man. And that apparently was a Bobby Freeman song? Yes. So it's a it's a cover. There's like four or five covers on this album, so... It would be hard to write a song like that. I, I, I have a gripe that I th is repeated on most of these songs, which is that... The piano is there, and it's doing a per perfectly capable job of, uh, you know, playing rhythm and supporting the song more so than the guitars usually. But it's not like I don't know, like all of the rock and roll guitar licks came from like rock and roll piano playing, and so like neither of neither the guitar nor the piano is amped up enough to be like 
very rock and roll. And so it's like it's there, it's present, but it should be doing some big, wild, crazy stuff if the guitar is going to also be pretty subdued. Like one of those things needs to be going absolutely nuts for it to be badass rock and roll. And it never really does. And Neil's a hell of a guitar player. I don't know if what he usually does would have fit on this, though. He has he can, very I think one he can play, sound. Yeah, he can play really traditionally, though. He just yeah. doesn't. Like, every once in a while, he slips up and plays something that gives away his <laughs> actual guitar chops. So, Well, if you think of the really commercial kind of rockabilly, uh, you know, that, um, say, Elvis Presley did, um, there usually is a pretty cool guitar solo in there somewhere, yeah. but, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's all about the vocal, right? It's all about the story. I mean, that's really what yeah. it is. Well, that's why you got the backing vocals cranked to 10 on every song. The ooh-wah-ooh-wah-ooh-wahs. The ooh-wah, <laughs> yeah, the ooh-wah-ooh-wahs. Yeah. yeah, I thought they did a, a nice job of that. It definitely, de- I mean, it, it, uh, it lets you know right away this is a period piece. Yeah, no one's going to be mistaking this for a, a new song. Yes, this is a, a costume drama. Well, given that was a short song, do we want to move on to the next one? We do. This could be a short episode. Well, it's a short album. We're, we're testing things out. Hopefully it comes out. I think the next track is another uh, cover, Raining in My Heart, by Slim Harpo and Jerry West. Cruising with Ruben in the Jets episode, discussing, you know, if we took this album into a time machine and took it back to 1958, would the average listener notice this was weird, or would they think it was part of the common current zeitgeist? I guess with this song, the question is, which is more anachronistic, the harmonica or Neil's voice? Well, wasn't, was Slim Harpo a harmonica player? Am I mixing somebody up? No, I think he was. I think I mean, this is so more this, of a blues tune than a, yeah, so a this, rockabilly. So or this something. might be the song where the harmonica is appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, but they're singing it as kind of a you know a, a slow shuffle ballad. Well, not yeah. slow, I guess, mid tempo. Uh, I you know, it's um, um like a little doo doo Right, right. I think that would fit in with with. Uh, I think it would fit in with the '60s. Uh, I I don't know about. Yeah, some of it just seems, um, it's definitely missing charm somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's perfectly functional, but yeah, it's kind of, I mean, is this better than Sha Na Na? I mean, this is pretty much the same idea as, you know, recreating the 50s with a... I really get the idea that Sha Na Na loved what they were doing. I'm yeah. not sure, I, I'm not sure Neil, 
I mean, I get that he liked this kind of music, but I don't, I, I'm not feeling it. Right. I'm not feeling the yeah. love here, but you know, I had the thought on this one that if any of these songs were dropped into the middle of a different Neil album as a standalone, they'd be kind of neat. And you would probably recall them as being a cool song from a album, but when they're all stacked up in a row, I know we're only on the like, second <laughs> song, but when they're just surrounded by other, you know, rock, fake rockabilly, 80s rockabilly, uh, you know, gimmick, they're not so cool. Well, he did on like um, his 1980 album, Hawks and Doves. He has a song called, uh, I think it's Coastline or Staying Power or something like that. And it, it could have easily been slotted into this album and no one would notice. But because it's just a single rockabilly doo-wop yeah. number in the middle, it it just, you know, it's a change of pace rather than the whole pace. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're going like, oh, cool, something new, not, oh, God, not again. And then yeah, again, I, I think part of the problem with trans is it didn't go all in. It didn't have all electronic instruments. And so the non-synthesizer songs disrupted. And so if this were just half rockabilly and half yeah, regular, I don't know if it would have worked either. So Yeah, no, you're definitely right about trans. You felt a little let down when... when um it didn't continue, you know, yeah. the, the electronic yeah. bits. Well, trans should have been like the weirdest album that Devo never got around to making, but they, <laughs> one of these know, days played it real safe. Yeah. I, I really, I think everything on this album could benefit from some, uh, juxtaposition. You yeah. Know. <laughs> there's not a lot of, um, shall we say variety on this album. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right too, Scott, about the the 45 business, the single, the single. You know, if you if you listen to a lot of bands that were single driven, say yeah. say like um, you and I, for example, were listening to that Jan and Dean album um, record, yeah. where, where they assembled it, and it was it's just a little too much one after the other, right? Yeah. They they weren't. I don't think they were meant to be heard in that way. No, probably not. Well, and I mean Elvis himself, I think you know none of his albums albums are really what you remember them for it's all those you know sun 45s right right and it would be nice to know what neil's concept was for this thing since he said he did have a concept it would be uh who knows maybe it would have been really maybe it would have tied everything together who knows it might have made things more diverse or at least feel more finished but um not so much right right well uh the next track is um the first song actually written or co-written by Neil and uh, Ben Keith, I think, who's the bass player in Crazy Horse or something, called Paola Blues. So we're, we're getting political here. If a man is making music, they ought to let his record play. Cashawada, wada It's it's a little hypocritical of Neil to be complaining that people aren't playing his songs on the radio when he's deliberately doing albums like this in trans, but um that that aspect of it and also the fact that Neil did get played on the radio a lot. Yeah. So um, it's it seems it seems his lament here is a little um, 
whiny. Yeah, yeah. Or or insincere, or maybe just thought it was a funny song. Perhaps. Maybe he was trying to express his frustration with Geffen, but trying to tie it back to the Alan Freed thing, so he had to sing about radio. I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, and by all evidence or um, all testimony, uh, Paola is is still a fact of life in the music business. Yeah, they just it's um, just not done in cash anymore, right? And it's also well, or uh, or in cocaine. It, well, it's done Indeed. legally now. They they just run it through the accounting departments, and uh, you know, um, everyone gets their little cut. It's not just handing the uh, the DJ. Uh, an envelope for money bag. because the DJs don't actually program the music. Well, does anyone listen to the radio anymore? Well, I mean, there's that too, right? Right? Yeah. Well, I think it is. It's all Spotify and playlists. There and is that, but there is a there's satellite radio, and people still True. have cars with um with um. <laughs> and you can shut that shit off if you buy a new car. It <laughs> will have satellite radio, and it will find you. Yes. <laughs> Track you down. You they want will to listen to, to nuke you from space if you don't subscribe. Right, it's not the way it was, you know. In some ways, um, uh, you know, it, it certainly was bad for for artists that didn't have a lot of weight behind them. But in some ways, it was more open because you could show up to a radio station and give a guy a few hundred bucks, and they will play it on the radio. That you know, that is long gone. And like yeah, you said, no. it's really not going to help you much now, anyway. Um, That's true. I think people it's that just, listen to radio are not listening for the latest hits. They want to hear what they've already. Uh, yeah, they're not paying attention to the radio. Right. The history of Paola, you know, Paola is pretty fascinating just in the the fact that a bunch of artists figured out how to really game the radio system. And, you know, I think James Brown was somebody who, like, knew how to, you know, bribe, uh, you know, certain local DJs that would make sure that his song was played all the time. And, like, people figured out, like... Um, you know, regionally where they, where they needed to get played for things to, you know, to get record label attention. And it's, it's kind of fascinating, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe this wasn't a personal thing for Neil. Maybe he was just writing a little history piece here, you know? Yeah. There you go. Remember the good old days when you could buy your radio play directly? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know when, when you got more into the, you know, nineties, like the tail end of, of, uh, the record industry as we know it, that the the record companies were basically like forcing record stores to carry things, you know, um, where the distributors and stuff were kind of uh, strong arming uh, record stores. And again, this is when they were selling just tons and tons and tons of CDs. Um, and so I think that sort of thing evolved directly out of like the, you know, 50s payola stuff. It's like the same game, the same kind of like, we control most of this stuff. If you want, you know, if you want to carry any of it, you're going to, you're going to push the thing we say to push. So it's like, yeah. Well, and that's why the music business is still alive and thriving today. In, in, insert <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson quote here. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, sigh. On the plus side, you know, everyone's making their money from concert of sales, so we're all doomed. Ooh. <laughs> Moving God, I on. Got some, I got some bad news for you. Yeah. Uh, I think this next track was actually written way, way back, like the early 70s by Neil. And he just turned it into a doo-wop song for this album. It's called uh, Wanderin'. Baby, you've been gone so long. 
hoping that you'll be my baby I'm wondering if I'll be alone Knowing that I need you to save me I'm wondering what he called that song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that really... another thing. All of these songs have, like, the title repeated a hundred million times. Usually there's, in fact, an entire verse where he just sings the title, then the backing vocalists sing it back to him, and he sings it, and they sing it back, and he sings it, and they sing it back. Well, and... You know, you say that, but, and I, you know, Neil Young plans, please don't learn my address and come and kill me. Um, a lot of Neil Young songs are like that. There's True. not a whole lot. It's not like, a, you know, lengthy verses that tell a long story. They're really short. Um, you know, Cortez, what a killer. That's like the whole song, you know, just about, right? And, um, my, my, uh, hey, hey. My, hey, exactly, my, my. exactly. And so, so to me, this really does sound like a Neil Young song. And, and except for the, you know, the, the doo-wop backing vocals. I think if he had made a whole album with songs of this nature... Um, yeah. I, I bet the record company would have been okay with him doing a rockabilly-ish album, you know, rather than, you know, the kind of um, the cover band version. <laughs> well, the well, fact he'd written it earlier, I think, you know, he didn't write it to be a doo-wop song. And if he just right. added a, you know, rockabilly sheen to, you know, a bunch of old songs he hadn't gotten around to, it might have had a little more diversity and variety and not gotten so... Um, Repetitive by the yeah, end of yeah, yeah. 24 minutes and 55 seconds. <laughs> is that how long it is? Yep, that is the official length, according wow. to Wikipedia. So, well, Scott, yeah. I think you're you're right on with the title being repeated over and over in a lot of these. Is I mean, that's straight back to the, the uh, 45 single formula. Yeah. It's like, hey, what's that song called? Don't worry, kid. I'm going to sing it 30 more times before the song is well, over. Well, yeah, you're getting yeah. played on the radio is essentially a, a two-minute ad for the single. So you want to make sure people remember the name of the single so That's they can right. go down yeah. to Woolworth or wherever and buy it for Woolworth you know, buck 15 or whatever. Did you ever get the lunch counter? I, I never did. I've, they used to have one at the Villa Italia. Ah, uh, I remember Villa Italia. I think we had a Woolworth. Yeah, or Cinderella no. <laughs> City. We had a, um, a Montgomery Ward. Ooh, that Montgomery was, Ward. Yeah. See, this is that was, all that fits was, in here. Yeah. <laughs> that was great, man. That's... That was the that was the fancy mall. I could I could hear this album playing through the speakers of uh, the roof, you know, the ceiling top speakers of a uh, department store. Oh yeah. Well, you're getting assaulted with perfume samples. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you guys uh, in general think of those backing vocals? They're competent. I mean, they're not the Jordanaires, but they're not. You know, they they're not even Crosby, Stills, and Nash. But you know, they're work. They work. Yeah, they're a little too present for in the yeah, mix. They're like they're, in the mix. they're cranked way up there, and it's like, well, if, like I was saying about the piano thing before, it's like if it's gonna be cranked way up, have it doing something really cool. No, all it's doing is do wah bop bop. That's all. Yeah. Do wah bop bop. I almost think this album would do wah bop bop. Well, you gotta commit to a genre if you want to get good bop, at it. Bop. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like like the I, I, like the Stray Cats, they were a hundred percent committed. To uh, yeah. to make it happen, right? They weren't like making a parody of of a uh, you know Gene Vincent or something. Well, if this album was recorded more traditionally, like if they made this 
live as hell with like two ribbon mics in the same room, you know, I think it, some of these songs would benefit from things being a little bit crappier sonically, at least, you know what I mean? Like it's pretty polished. Well, it's just like the Slayer album. It, it should have been recorded on a boom box instead of a. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they should have literally, literally recorded it in a garage and it would have sounded awesome, but no, they've got all these digital perfect. reverb effects to try and replicate the slap back of a crappy yeah, that's right. garage. <laughs> We took reference mics out to the actual garage we theoretically <laughs> <laughs> pretended to record this in, and that's what you hear on the album. Yeah, it's just, it's too clean. Like, those, those, everything should be really grainy and crappy and, Squished. I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe it's yeah. because we don't have a Pono, though. Ah, yeah, Pono. That's true. Oh, no, it's Pono. Do you want to read our ad copy, Matt? <laughs> Brought to you this week by Pono. Have, have either of you, well, can we explain what that is really quick? Uh, it's like Neil Young's response to the MP3 that was supposed to be better, but nobody bought it because all you could listen to on it is Neil Young. So Yeah, it's, it's just a, um, it's an MP3 player, but it's not an, it's like a, an audio player that has a serious big ass hard drive in it. So it can have wave files and stuff. We can have like. The sound quality is really you know, good. The, the highest fidelity audio for you to listen to on your earbuds while you ride the bus. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, that's just it. The people weren't buying MP3s because they liked the way they sounded. They were buying them for the convenience and the um, inexpensiveness. And the particular song they wanted to hear, yeah. right? It wasn't, you know, it's that MP3 is not for the audiophile, clearly. No. Um, but, um, but, you know, the audio file is a, a thing of the past, maybe a bit like Neil, you know, um, kind of a yeah, dinosaur of, a, um, you know, I didn't mean that he was dead. Um, no, well, it is interesting that uh, consumer audio stuff, for the most part, I mean, 90% of it kind of rises to the quality of like, 70s hi-fi stuff, At you best. know, and so it, it's no longer, it's a weird thing to to be anymore what well, also tells you that 70s hi-fi was pretty damn good sounding um but um and things got worse somehow well people um, wanted them cheaper much. and cheaper generally yeah, tends yeah, to be right. not as good although contrary to some opinions uh cds sound pretty damn good yeah um, yeah cds sound great physical <laughs> media generally defeats any non-physical media just because there's something there but well and there's just a lot of a lot of data on a cd yeah right? well, you know, it's, that's it's yeah. dedicated to nothing but said data, so it can be a little more, yeah. But you know, a but CD is just ones and zeros, man. <laughs> but if you're playing, you know, your CD on your Sony Discman and it's skipping every few feet, and it's you know, and you got you know three dollar headphones from Walmart, and right, right, uh, you know, you're probably better off with an MP3. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we all now carry around little tiny supercomputers in our pockets that we can listen Every to. Every song ever, you, except wave, for wave tin files and whatever. Yeah, so so Neil was just yeah. ahead of his time, really. Indeed, with the yeah. Whole, I mean, this, he's got a bit of a case of the Lars's. Yeah. The Lars is just like he's not wrong. He's very right. He's just kind of like a dick about it, so handling like it him. in a in yeah. in a silly <laughs> way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like you're not wrong. You're just being a dick about it. <laughs> well, right, and and you know, and then uh, here we are with this this album. This album, you know, it is. Uh, I do kind of. There is something weird about the production in that you know 
maybe maybe it is because it's too clean. I don't I don't know if, if that's it as as much as uh, there there just didn't it seem to be a lot of sound of, sculpting going on here. Well, you know, and, trying to you know again, it may be coming down to Logan's point that it just didn't get done. This was just a rough mix yeah, that they yeah, pressed yeah. to wax. It reminds me of some of the really eighties doubt, like Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff. That's real chorusy and shimmery. It, it's like, yeah, that's it's rock and roll, but there's something like there's a sheen on it that seems like you know it's it got the protective packaging on it or something. Shiny happy people. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. Neil does REM. Well, they they owe him. Should we go yeah, on to do. the next track, which I think is the first track on side two, but um, honestly, this whole album could have fit on the side one. They could have squeezed it on one side I, and just I have albums had it on that both are, sides. you know, over 25 minutes per side. They're not the greatest sound quality, but you know, Desire by Dylan, I think, is like 25, 26 minutes a side, so. Well, when I was Jenny, took out skinny mini, long, tall, Sally, and short, fat, fanny, So is this about Bridget Fonda or uh, Jane Fonda, <laughs> Peter Fonda, Henry Fonda? I mean, I don't think there's a Wanda Fonda. That's the next song, Scott, right there. <laughs> I, honestly, if my last name were Fonda, I would name my daughter Wanda, but she would hate me, which is why it's a good thing I don't have kids. I like the uh, I like the uh, the the shtick of this song. You know, yeah. taking a whole bunch of. Uh, the bread of women's names from popular yeah. music, right? Yeah, and uh, throwing it in, but you know, I like uh, Wanda better. Although, although um, it, it's it's weird because I think they said this was a he did this as a tribute to or a, a, a something about his wife yeah, as a joke, but, but as sort of a right, as a joke, his but wife. It's, right to abuse his wife, right? But the uh, the line is, "I'm kind of fond of Wanda." Yeah, I'm not super into her, but I like her, yeah, and I like kinda. Wanda because she always wants to want the Wanda. It's left up to the imagination, but it is sort of risque and ribald. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. yeah, is this that that rock and roll that'll uh, you know lead you to worship in the devil? Oh yeah, and lead you astray. It's getting close. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I uh, I dig this one just just because of that. It seems more rocky. Yeah. It's a fun and it it gets in and out in a minute fifty one and which is uh, it should not be longer. Yeah, any longer and we'd get less fond of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't. Uh, but um, yeah, and it's one of those two. You know, it's catchy. Uh, what. If the, I don't know, yeah. I wasn't alive then. But if I was driving in my '57 Chevy and my AM radio, and this came on once every other day, it'd probably be all right. Yeah. Could it? Could this be an ode to Wanda Jackson? It, um, Wanda Sykes. The, there you go. I don't think in, Wanda Sykes in the, was terribly in the big rock, in the rockabilly canon. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe. I think it just rhymes with Fonda. That is really what it came down go. to, and that's <laughs> which kind of rhymes with kinda. But yeah. none of these are real <laughs> words, so, you know, why not? Well, hey, you know, if we could put a story together with all of this, have we have anything yet? Can we try to intuit what his concept for this was? 
It's a, as a concept album that he claimed it was. Uh, it's after the machines from the uh, trans <laughs> album took over. Right, right. And they've rebooted civilization and they've gone back to the 50s. Um, yeah, Skynet is trying to stop John Connor from being born. And John Connor's grandmother is Wanda. It all makes sense. It's funny you mention that because one of the things that was going on right when this right when this happened, um, of course, was Ronald Reagan became president and um, Neil Young was um, back then. I think he since changed his mind. Uh, was a uh, Reagan supporter and one of Reagan's um, election um, uh, campaign slogans um, was. Um, um, well, you know, we want to take America back to when things were great. Yes. It wasn't quite well, wasn't quite the make America great again, but it was the same sort of thing. And what did he mean by that? Well, when were things great? Things were great in the 1950s. When housewives stayed home and uh, African Americans had no rights. Well, that that is of course the the messaging that the Reagan campaign was getting out there. Yeah. But but perhaps Neil Young was thinking of it more. Oh no, things were great because music was simpler and better, and it was just fun. And and you could just pay Alan Freed and get your money, your radio <laughs> songs played. Exactly right. Well, there's always been that sort of fifties nostalgia, which meant different things at different times. I mean, in the eighties, I think it was sort of a life's become too complicated. I want to be okay as a greedy, rich white man. Well, in the 70s, I think it was more about, ooh, the 60s were weird. I want to go back to a simpler, naive time. No more psychedelics. Yeah. Stick to the cocaine. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say the concept of this album is that if you do enough cocaine, you manifest the time machine to the 1950s. <laughs> there you go. Neil's gone back to the future. It's pretty obvious if you think about it. I think he even mentions Ronnie and Nancy dancing on the front lawn in the last song. Yeah, they get a shout out. Great. Hey. <laughs> Dating the album in another wrong, wrong way. <laughs> well, shall we move on, please, to Jelly Roll Man, unlike what, whatever the Frank Zappa jelly gumdrop. Jelly Roll gumdrop. Yeah. Well, if you got the craving for Ever actually eaten a jelly roll? Yes. What is a jelly roll? I don't think I've ever even Every seen Every time one. my mom would uh, bake a pie, uh, the the crust that you know you had leftover crust, yeah. she'd roll it out and she'd um, spread jelly on it and roll it up and bake that alongside the pie and then give it to me and that was a jelly roll. Okay. But there's also a hairstyle called a jelly roll. So that could be. Hmm. Also a referent. To, Tasty. Do you think he was talking about the hairstyle or the um the pastry? The tasty pastry. I'm gonna say it's gotta be some weird sex thing. Oh yeah. You know, or satanic stuff. Either or. That's that's what was great about the fifties was weird sex and Satan. Yeah, I miss those days. Of course there was a lot of that in the eighties too, so it seems appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Repression. Repressive times lead to uh, <laughs> Satan and sex. 
You want to be a weirdo, you really got to mean it. Yeah. <laughs> You're not risking your life for your uh, freak flag, then. Are you really flying? So did, did we notice anything unique about this song other than lyrically? Uh, honestly, at this point, they all sound the same. I'm having a hard time telling them apart. Yeah, the, the, uh, I think the, the Harpo song sounded different. I think his Wonder song sounded different. Yeah. And there's one last track that'll sound different we haven't gotten to yet, and there's a reason for that. But when we get there, I'll mention it. But Okay, yeah. Well, um, I don't think it's this next one. Bright Lights, Big City by Jimmy Reed. on this album in the same key I think they're all in E or A something because they all this is a really odd choice too uh, you know Jimmy Reed I love Jimmy Reed he's a blues player yeah you know again so this is a, you know akin to this Slim Harpo one it's a and a guitar player and there's there's a little there's a few more licks in here but it's it's super imposed with in the, you know the doo-wop thing it's almost like um, Lawrence Welk does does blues music it's really uh, um, you know maybe it's not quite that sacred but it's you know but it has that it has that sort of uh we're gonna niceify this in some way it's like let's take the middle finger out of the blues and present it to uh so an 80s crowd it's 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 like pat boone right yeah yeah like pat boone what another 50s star right oh yeah you probably recorded some of these songs Maybe not this one. It's but. it's missing a, a key ingredient. Yeah. That's just not there. Yeah. It's a good attempt. Again, short, two minutes, 18 seconds. Um, There's not really on most, well, so on most of Neil's wackier albums, somewhere near the end or when he just, you know, gets bored, there will be a Neil Young guitar thing. Yes. And I mean, like a totally weird, atonal, you know, sound escapey anti-guitar solo. And it, even on other themed albums, like there's a little hint of that somewhere. And that's another reason I think this one was just not finished, because if they'd spent enough time, that would have there'd be one in here somewhere in a, yeah. you know, a, a bizarre place. Well, wasn't the very last song of Cruising with Ruben and the Jets, didn't we get some weird Frank Zappa freaked yeah, out towards yeah, the very exactly. end. So. It's like the, it's the, the Scooby-Doo pulling off the masks yeah, thing, or man. Andrew W.K. finally bringing out the rest of the band at the end of his piano album or whatnot. You gotta, you gotta let us know you're still in there, Neil. We're worried. Yeah, the record company pulled the plug too soon. Indeed. For the, the M. Night Shyamalan twist ending. It was really the greedy real estate developer all along. Bruce Willis has been dead the whole time. Wait, what? <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah well the next track at least has a, a a wacky video to accompany it we'll definitely post a link to that in the uh, facebook group
lyrics go, I don't think Neil really try, try, tried. You know, this sounds a lot like a Carl Perkins tune, except when it does that nihilism where everything kind of stops and he just goes, cry, which is um, really, I guess you got to break up that song somehow, but that was, uh, it just seemed odd. Yeah. I just looked it up, but um, yeah, ZZ Top's Illuminator came out the same year. And so, yeah, both that's like sharp dressed man and legs and stuff but so like in aesthetic and kind of weird nostalgia interpretation of traditional music in a weird disco sort of way well, and also promoted like, by the fact that mtv would play anything they were so desperate yeah yeah but but zz top i think you're you're correct i think the difference is zz top was postmodern in their approach they they were taking artifices of the past and and putting it into this other context absolutely yeah no they've they're they're very loud about the fact that they don't consider themselves like real authentic blues musicians or anything what they're doing is is an interpretation yeah like a very postmodern kind of interpretation of this traditional music and they were using synthesizers that sounded like synthesizers right yeah not like um you know, um, using, using, you know, fake strings or something. Right. I mean, they, they decided we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to head into the eighties head first. Here's a cheesy synthesizer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, right. And there's nothing in this that would identify it. Like with this music, there's nothing that would identify it specifically, you know, to that time period, Yeah, which is another thing. What, what ZZ top would say about their like kind of, you know, legs disco-y sort of period with that stuff was that they were just like we got tired of people like sitting on their on their butts at at concerts you know like it's like people wanted to dance like dance music sells and you know if you have songs that people dance to uh you know you're gonna sell a lot of records and so they were like we knew what we were doing we knew it was kind of you know it was a calculated move this neil thing i think is just the a calculated troll that we've been saying <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole time, you know, because it's like, you, what, what are you supposed to do to this? Like, you can't. The twist. None of these the really pony. seem. Yeah, you can twist, but they're not the even thug. really. They seem subdued compared to even original versions of the same or, or the right, same songs. If you think around that same period too, David Bowie was doing uh, "Let's Dance," yeah. right? Wasn't yeah. that what that yeah. came out? That? You know, and, and he, he he was always good at putting on. Uh, well, that was kind of his whole shtick, right? He put on a persona for a record or a group of records. Yeah, and and this seems like yeah. what Neil's kind of trying to do. He's putting on a persona, but he's not really embodying it. It it seems like a costume. Yeah, it's like a Halloween party rather than a. Uh, you know, you just you just don't believe it. Somehow you believe ZZ Top, even though it is pretty. You know, like those uh, '80s videos are really cheesy. It's still like, oh, these guys are these guys are hamming it up, and we can see them hamming it up, right? And it yeah, um, yeah. Well, and they have they they've had a long career before that, just hamming it up in a kind of tongue in cheek, right, right. L like this looks goofy, or this looks really cool, sort of way. They never, you know. Uh, you know, pretended to be anything else and didn't make a, a, a 
Oh, actually, you know, there's some ZZ Top vocoder now that I think about Sweet. it. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Man, the 80s were awesome. <laughs> well, now that they're over, they're much easier to deal with. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's the, that's the, I mean, yeah, I, I can't quite put my finger on it, right? You, so you, you, but, but it doesn't seem like uh, whatever Neil's doing here. It doesn't. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like, and it doesn't really sound like either that that he's uh, either one in love with the material he's playing, which would just make it you know kind of quaint and yeah. more fun to listen to, or or that he's saying I'm going to take this genre and I'm going to mutate it in Do my particular yeah. weird way, right? Yeah, you know, like like ZZ Top did with their stuff, or or like what Zappa did with the uh, Cruising with Ruben and the Jets. Yeah, or even what the Stray it's Cats a, did with their little twist to it. You know, it's Right, it's right, yeah, something. exactly. Anything, yeah, please. Yeah. Well, on the weird postmodern interpretation of stuff side of things, there's also, like, Tab Falco is doing stuff around now and doing this very trashy kind of exploration of this, like, you know, fifties sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, that that's way cooler than this. <laughs> it might be harder, harder to listen to, but you know, harder to have on in the background. So you, you can have this on in the background and it's completely unobjectionable. Yeah. Oldies radio, which is, isn't that yeah. the standard by which we should judge all rock and roll, how much you can ignore it. Okay. So, <laughs> so if you had to, um, Cover a song. Let's pretend we're all in bands. Okay. And you had you had to cover a song from you know say the you know the fifties early sixties right you know so before things started to get interesting and weird yeah. say before 65. the Beatles made everyone have to write their own material. Right, right. What what song would you would you cover? I I'd go with "You Don't Own Me" by Leslie Gore. It's always been one of oh, my there favorites. You, you don't own. That's a me. good one. I mean, First Wife's yeah, Club something. really ruined it, but it's still just a great song. When are we talking again? You know, the 50s, early 60s. Oh, something by Willie Dixon. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So that's a, <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, you know, that's blues, though. I was thinking more, you know, I'm sure they Standards? wanted to be pop. They just weren't pop. You know, I was thinking something, yeah. like, something like this you'd hear on the radio, right? I don't know. Would it be? Yeah, I don't know. Mystery Train? Well, that's blues too. Yeah, like there you go. Yeah, yeah, it could be Mystery Train. You know, for some reason, it might be a little later. I'm not sure, but I, I've always thought of that song "Red Rubber Ball" by The Circle. That was written by Paul oh, yeah, Simon. My dad, like, <laughs> was it really? It was. Hates yeah, that when he was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Simon there's a lot to hate about. Big. That's the song Paul Simon yeah. wrote. Wow, I did not know that. Well, we've learned something today. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Give your musicians more credit, you asshole. <laughs> Sixteen coaches long. Train I ride. Sixteen coaches long. Well, that long black train took to my baby and gone. Notice that one has, you know, a mixed chorus as opposed to the all-male backing vocals. Right. No piano. Lots more guitar. It's it's well, the best track on there, I think. And, and slot back on everything. Well, one, it's a it's a good song. That helps. Kind of hard. It's got the train beat, man. Kind of hard to ruin. Uh, uh, 
but uh, is there anything notable about this? I mean, if you said, if you had, you know, your pick of three versions of Mystery Train, because there has to be yeah. hundreds, right? At least. Right? Would would this be one of them? Say, oh, yeah, I want to hear the Neil Young version of Mystery Train. Well, it doesn't do much with it, but I think part of the reason this one sticks out is because it wasn't recorded with the Shocking Pinks. It wasn't recorded for this album. Oh. It was actually recorded for Old Ways, the country album. Oh, really? Because when he first turned it in, there were a few hmm. rockabilly songs on there, and it was much more diverse. When he finally released it after this album, Old Ways, it was all really hardcore country. But the first version of it had, you know, a couple Elvis tunes on here. And this was a leftover from those sessions, which is why I think it it is a bit of a, I mean, not enough of a change, but it is a bit of a change from the rest of the album. And maybe why we like it a little bit. I think that's part of it. He may be more invested. I think tempo, yeah. too. Like yeah, it's yeah. got the train beat. It's a little bit more up tempo. It just shows you how the rest of the thing could have benefited from a little bit more variation in tempo and feel, yeah. song and, to song. And key, yeah, and key. Yeah, all the I don't know. The guitar is a difficult instrument. It only plays you know, in you E, right? Play you know. in songs, not in A or you, E. Well, you can play in D if you've invented yeah. drop D, but I don't think they had in 1958. So who did? I mean, the Elvis did a version of this yeah. song. I think Carl Perkins did a version of this song. Yeah. I it's think the uh, Cramps Mystery Plane. Mystery Plane. <laughs> plane, plane. It was written by a uh, Junior Parker and Sam Phillips. Yeah, I think it was written by Junior Parker and Sam Phillips. <laughs> writing credit on there, but who knows? I don't know. Maybe they wrote it in this. Maybe they wrote it in this studio together, yeah. right? You know, Sam Phillips was a hands-on guy. So yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's like I like that one. Well, you get credit. The end. <laughs> well, speaking of the cramps, you know, maybe they should have done what the cramps did and recorded at Sun Records in that tiny ass room with, you know, a four track tape machine. And really, I don't know, there's there's some this this one stands out so much just because it seems more raw. Yeah. And I think it than, is because it was recorded and not, not a whole lot more, but. Where was this recorded? It, it is more raw. I agree with that. Do we know where it was recorded? Uh, I not not the mystery train. I mean the the rest of the songs. I don't see it on the Wikipedia page. So clearly it's been lost. Oh uh, yeah, it's at the top of the wiki page. I just saw it. Insulting the Oracle. I'm gonna say yeah. they could have they could have went to Memphis to record. Indeed. That's where. Uh, Let's say the secret scroll. The Nashville. Well, I think I think that the Cramps recorded at Ardent Studios. Was that it in in Memphis? I thought something I like thought that. it was Sun. Um, they did that too. That was yeah. That's song songs the Lord taught us as a Sun. Um, it says uh, modern modern records. Redwood City is where Redwood um, Redwood City. So San Francisco. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. I mean, you can record anything anywhere, right? Right, but yeah, uh, yeah. this is currently in more than one place. <laughs> yeah, in three different cities, we are technically. We're completely spoiled by as we talk into our multiple supercomputers um, in front of us. But a lot of recording, you know, even up until you know the '80s and '90s, was just defined by what technology was available. And and the facilities and things like that. And so there are a lot of limitations that ended up shaping things and you know uh the number of tracks types of microphones stuff like that how much isolation you could have if any and um 
the the more primitive the recording techniques, the more the onus is kind of on the musicians to bring everything together. And uh, that's almost always a better <laughs> way to do things. Make the musicians play. Um, yeah, it, it, it yeah, leads to it better music. Always, yeah, and so I think not that you can't record a great country or rockabilly album in a in a modern studio or anywhere for that matter. You know, in a car yeah. for that matter nowadays. But there's something about being confronted with the the limitations of of what they had in the in the 50s that make you kind of adapt and, you know, it, I think it, it can impart a certain rawness and different studios did stuff completely different. You know, they, they got around the same problems in different ways and that, you know, maybe led to certain studios or, you know, uh, engineers sounding a particular way, but that don't come across on this. This sounds like this was dipped in cocaine and sprinkled in glitter. Neon, neon pink. I think that the Shocking Pinks is the right name for this band. Not a good name, but the right name. I want more shock. That's yeah, what I want. Less pink, more shock. <laughs> These are more the muted pinks. What if he'd released this and Trans uh, as a double album? Yeah, you could fit all of this on one side of uh, a record. You could have put the, all the electronic stuff from Trans on side two. That would have been a... It would have been interesting. That would have been Neil, Neil Young's self-portrait. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Geffen's head would have exploded. But uh, <laughs> when did Back to the Future come out? Somewhere around here, 84, mm. 85. And why isn't this on any of this on the soundtrack? 85, I think. 84, yeah. 85. Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. I could see Marty McFly dancing to this. Everybody's rocking. It might be. You know, it's funny you said that because I think I was just thinking that this this would be um, good soundtrack material for some period. Hollywood piece, you know, we couldn't afford the original um, yet. Right, it Fats couldn't afford Domino, the original, So yeah. we got Neil Young, the <laughs> premier Fats Domino impersonator, to uh, right. <laughs> who's gonna play? Who's gonna perform the music on the Neil Young biopic when Neil doesn't uh, authorize any of his music to be used in his own biopic? Uh, Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> He's Canadian. Get Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah, I like that. Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> French fried potatoes. Call it a blade. Well, we only have one song. Left. It's the title track. Let's get through it. It's less than two minutes long. I'm, I'm a fan of Billy Bob Thornton's bass player. Oh, yeah. What was that? The Box Cutters? Sounds like the piano player didn't realize they had a solo coming up until a couple bars late. Got that glissando and like, oh crap! Uh, uh, ding, 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 ding. Well, and and I I suspect, uh, am I wrong in thinking this that you know a lot of the early rockabilly stuff, you know, like stuff that did come out of Sun Studios and that, is that you you did have. Um, I mean, obviously they're professional musicians, but this is this is the sort of stuff that they play. Yeah. They're not like a jack of all trades, you know, um, um, wrecking crew kind of person who could play jazz one one second and then play 
heavy metal the next and then surf music right after that. And, and, uh, uh, so, so, you know, and I'm not saying that these guys are or aren't, but I don't think that they're really rockabilly players. Not exclusively, right, not know. by a long shot. Right, right. right. So, so, uh, um, yeah. And maybe, uh, maybe that has something to do with it too, that they needed a little more, you know, Maybe they should have went on the road first. Yeah. And then come back and did the album. Hey, what was that song called? Uh, I don't know. They should have repeated the title about 800 <laughs> more times. It does make writing songs easier. It does. If you only have two lyrics, then you're good. It was a simpler time. <laughs> However, I think those were lies. I think some of those people were not rocking. I'm sure at least a couple of them yeah. were. <laughs> were holding perfectly still. Perfectly oh still, yeah, yeah. I wonder. I wonder what these uh, the the ones that Neil wrote. I wonder what they would have sounded like with Crazy Horse or something along those lines. That would have been interesting, you know. Because, like I said, I, I think you know. Look, I do not have all of Neil's albums. I, I there are a lot I am of them. A, a, yeah, you know, I I do like like a lot of his stuff, but it's uh, at the same time, like I said, he's not. His lyrics are are always short and to the point. Yes. There's never a lot of, of, you know, maybe they're not quite as repetitive, but there's, there's not a lot of ton of, uh, of, um, explication going on in his, uh, he's not a verbose no. lyric writer. I'll put it that way. Even on some of my favorite Neil records, the lyrics are shortened to the point, but also kind of abstract. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But I don't know. He's a taciturn. Yeah. Nobody's, if it, if there, if there's a story, it's a short one and. You know, you, you probably know what's going to happen by the end of the first verse. What's it like? It's like a hurricane. You like that? It's still like a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. Ain't singing just for Pepsi. efficient songwriting. <laughs> what kind of girl is she? She's a cinnamon girl. What kind of man is he? He's an old man or a transformer man. I'm not sure. Right. It's not, you know, and by the way, that's not that I didn't mean that as a criticism no. other than that's other than uh, what he does then. Right. Right. So I don't I don't think these songs are really that far out of his wheelhouse. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I think when he was hearkening back to thinking what well, was a simpler time and things were easier, it's like, how much easier do you want to get? Yeah, we've we've hit the bottom. I, I should check out like setlist.fm and see if he's played any of these songs on subsequent tours to see if, you know, maybe on the right with crazy horse or somebody he did. Everybody's rocking. Well, I mean, maybe we're just hating on the, the, the concept more than the execution, you know, cause they, they're like, yeah, he does an okay job. It's fine, but it's just, well, even if it was the best, it could have been, how good could it be? This is a compilation of, of two minute 45, uh, you know, single kind of songs one after another. A lot of the best Neil albums are really great to listen to as an album. Like they have a great ebb and flow, like lots of good dynamic and tempo variation yeah. stuff. It kind of takes you for a fun ride. And I, like I said, this one could benefit from some good juxtaposition. Yeah. You know, if, if there were a couple of different things going on in there, like then, some of the better stuff about this might stand out a little bit more, but it's just this, I mean, it's a, you know, 25 minutes in doo-wop land and you know, that's fine, but that's more than we need. 
So as far as this on Nancy was the dancer though, right? Yes. Ronald wasn't known for his no. dancing. Ronnie, Ronnie. Was there dancing in bedtime for Bonzo? He didn't do a lot of musicals, huh. no. Well, he could probably do a soft shoe. Yeah, yeah. You know? I don't know, mommy. So, yeah. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> Make America great again. Bring back segregation. You know what we're talking about. I know. We're all doomed. <laughs> well, you know, I don't I don't blame uh you know, I certainly uh don't blame Neil or give him benefit either way, you yeah. know, for his uh political leanings one way or the other. I think that he's, you know, he's been good for rock and roll, that's for sure. And I, I uh uh but the eighties really were a weird a weird time. Yes. And people were trying yeah. to find their footing. A lot of sixties and seventies stars have some issues during the eighties to say the least. I mean When's the last time you put on Emotional Rescue? Oh, Harlem yeah. Shuffle. Harlem Shuffle. Doing this podcast has really uh, brought into sharp focus that the 80s were uh, bizarre. <laughs> True. <laughs> what do we think? Go out and buy this album? Uh, well, if it's a choice between this and Cruising with Ruben and the Jets, which do you pick? You listen to them both on your pono. Oh no! Yeah, you listen to both on your pono. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, I was going to say, I don't, I don't mind this album. I'll probably keep it around for a while, actually, because I could see a song coming up once in a while and me tapping my foot. It might bring me a little joy. I'm okay with that. I think uh, Ruben and the Jets. I think uh, the the singing is better. True. It just you know. I think there's a lot more. The arranging is better. Yeah, yeah, the, and uh, yeah, the arranging is a lot better. And uh, I, I also, uh, well, I'm just a zappophile, so I have to have that. Um, but um, uh, but uh, um, I think as far as is is just um, you know looking at what was done and then trying to at least put some sort of spin on it so that it's unique. I think uh, Ruben and the Jets accomplished that far. On a far better degree than than Neil did. Yes, it was less of a pure doo wop rockabilly, whatever we want to call it, early rock album, and more of a an experiment. Well, and and mimicry is yeah, and mimicry is never uh you know like I suppose good mimics can be entertaining, yeah. especially if they're comedians. Um, but um, but mimicry is not is not art in the same way, right? Yeah. You know, if you want to do a rockabilly album, then that that's fine. But rockabilly artists didn't copy themselves. They were themselves, right? That's the genre in which they operated. Yes. And, and I, I think, uh, I think that's really what's missing from the, from the Neo young one. It, it's, it's a, it's a good recording of some happy fun tunes, but it's not, it's, it's nothing new. Yeah. And and it's not exceptional in terms of its recreation of something old. Yeah, not Neil enough. He should have used the vocoder. A minus Neil. B B minus. Come back maybe. with the country album. We'll yeah. we'll check in later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's again. Yeah, it's like this is not. This is like you know. I know because it, we recently did the the uh, Elton John disco album. This is. Uh, I I could listen to this at any time and probably be okay with it. Um, it doesn't hurt. It, it's got to, it's got to be, I need a special purpose to listen to that Elton John thing <laughs> <Yeah>. again. <laughs> now that the podcast is over, you never have to listen to it again. Yeah. There's just a lot of disco and 
a lot of it's better than that. Right. Most right. of it's better than that. So why, why bother? Right. And, and, well, and in 83, you know what, there wasn't other than, you know, like, like you said, if a few, a select few bands, right. You know, the, the stray cats being the most uh, popular, uh, notable in that regard, there wasn't a lot of rockability in, in 83 because there wasn't an internet. You couldn't just call, call crap up and listen to whatever you wanted to. So, so this, this, this perhaps was providing a service to people who wanted to hear this kind of music again. Apparently, he misjudged the market if that's what he was after. Certainly, Geffen thought he screwed the pooch as far as being commercial. Yeah, well, he clearly wasn't trying to be commercial, but uh, who knows what he was trying to do. It is funny that, I mean, Neil is such a big uh, influence on, and you look, look at videos of young Neil Young and it's like, oh, that's like young Kurt Cobain or something. He's about to have just this profound influence on music just a few years later. Like, I mean, a lot of the, you know, I'm air quoting as hard as I can, grunge bands are like kind of just getting started like shortly after this. And a lot of their, a lot of them were inspired by earlier Neil Young stuff, which is very grungy and very, you know, rootsy rock and roll in a very raw sort of way, but also kind of like you're saying earlier, like, like this postmodern interpretation kind of thing. And, uh, but it's just funny that like, right when the thing that he's best known for is about to, uh, really inspire another generation to blow that up, he's doing, uh, pretend country and pretend rockabilly and uh, uh, trans, whatever weird. that is. <laughs> yeah, and trans, whatever that is. And so I, I don't know. It, it sounds like I'm really ripping on Neil during this, but it's, he's awesome, man. He's he's quite the uh, uh, iconoclast. <laughs> I've always been disappointed that Pearl Jam didn't go through a everybody's rocking in a, a trans phase and do something weird and experimental. You know, yeah, that, yeah, that would be. That would be something. Yes. Um, that that uh, right. And and uh, well, and you know, and it, and it is similar, I guess. I mean, very different artists, but it, it is similar with with uh, you know the the Elton John comparison. It's like you know hugely influential. Um, just kind of ran off the rails a little bit. Uh, I don't know as if we should not. Uh, dis- I don't know as if we should discourage that. Yeah. I think I think artists running off the rails every once in a while is probably good. Yeah. You got to try stuff yeah. out just because. Not every experiment succeeds doesn't mean don't experiment. You just got to. Again, my critique of both this and trans is that they just didn't go, you know, they didn't go far enough. Like they could have gone 20% more and it would have been legendary. Well, I guess that will, well, uh, I guess that'll do it this week unless there's anything else we want to add. This is our first remote podcast. Um, Hopefully it will be enjoyable. Hopefully it will be audible. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully we will all either be alive or dead in the very near future and we'll never have to do this again. But I am not anticipating anything. Indeed. Do not predict the future. So I was going to say, there's nothing to plug, I guess. Um, If you can leave your house uh, and it's safe to do so, we'll let you know. Yes. When the when the zombies come, aim for the brainstem. Indeed, I mean we do humbly ask that you take a minute to go into whatever podcasting application you are currently using to uh, rate the show and uh, write a review. That way we we know you exist and that we're not crazy just talking to ourselves out here. Um, you can also drop us an email at detoursandoutliers at gmail dot com if you have any 
suggestions of albums we should cover in future episodes. Um, I guess that'll do it. This is Scott Livingston. Logan Renard. Matthew Marr. And uh, tune in next week when we try and figure out who this is. No on everyone. So many things I would have done. But clouds got in my way. I've looked at clouds from both sides now. From up and down And still somehow It's cloud illusions I recall